Why, hello everyone, this is Classic Homesteading Practices, and today we're going to be talking about a very important and probably one of the most creative things that you can do on your homestead or being independent, self-sufficient at home, and that is cooking. And we're not only going to be talking about cooking, we're going to be talking about the basics, the foundation for cooking. Because for anybody who is wanting to get into cooking or feels like they want to do better or they just don't understand it, I want to give you the tools so you can walk away from this podcast and be able to look at a recipe at something that you can cook from scratch by yourself without electronics if you don't want to and make a successful, delicious product. So let's talk about it. What makes cooking? What is cooking? And it's a very simple answer that I don't think we all really think about it. It's just food to us. Whether it comes in a package or we find it at the store, we go to restaurants, or even just a fast food joint, it's something that we consume to get nourishment from. But for people who have decided that they want to grow it or manufacture it from their own home or even just be able to purchase raw items like vegetables or beef, something to make into a dish, cooking can be one of the most proud and defining moments for a person who is self-sufficient. And the reason being is because you are making food for yourself. And this might sound very romanticized or even just very proud when a lot of people are like, this is just food. Why are you talking like it is like something you should be so proud and honored to be able to do? And because you should be proud and honored to be able to make your own food, especially in a place where we have that as a luxury now. Think about that for a second. Food is a luxury to us, at least in America. For a lot of us, it is. Now, there are people who are less fortunate who are unable to have that. And it is still a survival and necessity. But for a lot of us, we have gone away from cooking meals ourselves and we have decided that restaurants, fast food, processed foods, easy foods are what we can cook. And especially for people who are working very hard, it's an easier way and an easier option to pick other than following a recipe and making something to eat later or takes time to make. And that is a very big thing about cooking is there is a normally larger time consumption and being able to see that can be very intimidating for some people. It was definitely intimidating for me when I first started looking into larger and grander meals besides eggs, bacon, toast, and sausage, which is a very nice you know, breakfast and lunch, even dinner if you'd like to, but we as people like to spice it up. I mean, unless you really could eat bacon every day, but that's also not the healthiest choice. 
I know. And a lot of you are saying, it's delicious. We could do it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't care if it's unhealthy. And I'm like, I know. Best thing on this earth. But there's more variety. I bet you'd like to try it out. So let's get into it. And the first thing that we need to look at if we want to learn how to cook is how to follow a recipe. And I know that seems like a very simple thing, but there's a lot of people who really don't know how to follow a recipe. They think it's just slapping ingredients into a bowl or into a frying pan and just going crazy. And as long as they're able to get everything cooked to the proper temperature, it's great. It's fine. And then you try and eat it and it was not necessarily what you were imagining. So... We start with a recipe because it's something that is stable. It is the structure that we can start out. It is the foundation for building the food that we want to consume. Now, there are five parts to a recipe. I never knew this until a little while ago, but these five parts actually make a lot of sense when you break them down. The first part is yield. It's the amount of food that you're going to be getting out of this dish or this recipe that you put together. And then the second one is ingredients and their measurements. So for a simple recipe, you may have ingredients like flour, sugar, chicken, eggs, and so forth. And you would need to make sure that they all have a measured out portion, which is the amount, for this recipe. And that's how you not only get a good yield, but that is also how you get your portion properly done, is by following these amounts. And it's also how you get the desired flavor. If you decided that you wanted to go off track, and add a couple more spices here and there, or you wanted to add more sugar or more flour, it's going to be different than what you've done before. And that's okay. If you're experienced and you've done this dish a lot of times, experimenting is one of the funnest ways to create even better dishes than you have before. But if you're somebody who's new at this, Being able to stick to those amounts and those ingredients are going to help you to get a really delicious dish. After looking at ingredients and amounts, you're going to look at the step-by-step directions that are going to basically go through the motions of making the food. And that is setting everything up and then following it. And you're going to need to make sure that you have your equipment, which is number four. Now, your equipment is going to be bowls, spoons, spatulas, whisks, anything, any tool, really, that you're going to be using in order to make the dish possible, to mix the ingredients up. And then lastly is your temperature and the time or the duration you're going to be leaving it in the pan, pot, or oven. So a lot of people actually used to check the time for their item with the way that it looked or the way that it felt. 
for pies or for cakes. You would look to see if it was gooey or if it had set properly. If it's eggs, you would look for a golden brown outer coating and maybe even a little bit of charred black on the edges. If it was bacon, you would want it either wriggly where you could have a clear fat lining or you would have it a deeper ready brown than it already was. And you can see that the bacon is a little bit crunchy. And I'm definitely a crunchy bacon fan. But that is how you can tell when something is done to the specific time. Or there will be directions telling you a specific time, which can range from five minutes to two hours, depending on the dish. And it depends on what you're making. It really does. So if you feel like the dish is not complete, you've done it before, it is raw still in the middle or underdone or overdone, then there is some wiggle room that you can take when dealing with the recipe. And sometimes, actually a lot of times, it's necessary. I found myself on a lot of baking, not cooking, but baking problems where I've had to up the time allotment. Some of my cooking, oh my goodness, especially with chicken. Fried chicken in the air fryer, yeah, you're going to need some time. You're going to need a little bit more time than they prescribe. Usually they say eight minutes. I'm like, no, we need at least 11 to 15. Let's try this again. Get the crumbles all nice and golden brown and just everything will be delicious. And you are going to have to play with that. So if you accidentally burn something or if it is undercooked, don't feel bad when that happens. It happens to everybody. It just takes time and practice, trial and error, and figuring it out as you go. But for the most part, as long as you know the fundamentals, those five parts to a recipe, you'll be able to figure it out fairly easily. And again, it comes natural after a period of time. Though, oh, excuse the hog outside. I hope you weren't able to hear that. But again, after a period of time, everything will come and just, you'll be able to read the recipe faster. You'll be able to make the food faster. And over time, your cooking skills are going to be amazing. Now, there are a couple of tips that I do wish for you to know. And the biggest one is read the recipe first. Read it twice when you've picked it out. Also, if you're looking at something that you really, really want to make, look at multiple different recipes. Choose between them. Don't settle for one, but make yourself look at all of your options. And the reason is, is because sometimes you may not have an ingredient on the list. Yes, you could go to the grocery store, but if another recipe has everything that you already have, why not just try that first? Or if there's something that you wanted to try and the recipe has a different ingredient there that sounds delicious or interesting to you, it's a lot more fun to try and experiment. Also, sometimes ingredients just don't seem right. And I know 
that that's going to be something more intermediate once you get some practice in you'll be looking at ingredients in your list and you'll realize that there's something off about it on an online forum or blog and you'll be able to pick out what doesn't seem right and what seems like the best ingredient board for you and i know a lot of people who have intermediate skills or even long beginner skills in cooking understand that they just look at a recipe and they're like mm, I, I think that needs something else in it and you go and you choose something different and then again as you progress further you can start experimenting you can add things in that you know you like that will go well with the dish for me personally and i know i go back to chicken a lot it's because i really do love it doing barbecue chicken is fantastic. I personally bake mine because I am a better baker than a cook unless I'm using the air fryer. Um, and what I love to do, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is make a barbecue coating on top of it. And that allows me to finagle with the recipe a little bit. So if I had a temperature or time that was for 25 minutes on my baked chicken, I would maybe add a couple of more minutes because I'm going to put a barbecue glaze on top of it or I've decided to make a soy sauce glaze or something like that, sesame glaze. And I would check on it, make sure that it was either glazed and ready to come out five minutes beforehand or check it at the correct time and if it looks like it needs a little bit more time again go ahead and just give it another five minutes and again that's just finagling with the recipe recipes are guidelines guidelines that you should really follow well let's not call them guidelines let's call them again the foundation because you should usually stay within the recipe guidelines as best as possible except for temperature and if you're good enough you can add some spices or if you just feel comfortable with adding spices because after you make a recipe so many different times you are going to be able to just pick out something feel like the recipe needs something more but again it does take time and the reason why I say this is because there are a lot of people who get very frustrated with cooking. They get very upset because, again, it's undercooked, it's overcooked, the taste doesn't seem right, or the texture is wrong. And, again, it's just all about learning. Another tip is making sure you don't go out of your way to get fancy tools. You don't need fancy tools in order to make things. In all honesty, we have four main pots and pans in our household that we make most of our stuff. One is a deep skillet, so it has about three inches and it is a large pan. And I usually make noodles or stir fry in it. I even can make certain soups in it, though I usually leave our large pot to do soups and also large amounts spaghetti in our large pot and stews. For our smaller things like 
eggs, bacon, sausage. I leave a frying pan for that. And if I want to do rice, beans, any kind of, you know, small serving amount, but something that needs to be cooked in water for a long period of time, we have our medium-sized saucepan for that because we always like leftovers or we like to feed things to the chickens. So we always need leftovers for some reason. But those are our four main staple cook tools because you don't really need anything else for it. Now, when it comes to other tools that aren't being used on the top stove, we have two main bowls that we use. I have two cookie sheets. I have two spatulas. One's wooden, one's Teflon. Uh, the Teflon one is more of a scraper tool, while the wooden spoon is more of a tool that I use to get the batter, the dough, or anything out of the bowl with. And then, of course, your knife. Now, we purchased a $25 knife block that we use for everything. And the reason why we didn't go expensive on it is because depending on where you're at, we have a very large mineral deposit. And as long as we have a regular stainless steel knife set, we are pretty well off. And we just use the honing stick that comes with it. Now, there are some people who are very uncomfortable with using a honing stick on their knives. Let me just make it clear. Honing knives are not for sharpening. They will not build up or shave off the knife steel to make a sharp blade. They are there to rehone or straighten the blade back out. Because over time, your blade is going to start to curve a certain way horizontally. It is going to make it harder for you to cut things as well because of that off-centeredness. So honing stick is going to make sure that you can get that back straight in line and then once you feel like you need to take the time and sharpen your knives um, you can either get a whetstone which is something that we use um, and using a whetstone is actually a very time-consuming thing compared to doing an electric uh, sharpener excuse me but a whetstone lasts for a very long time. And depending on how crazy you want to get into it, there's a lot of fun things that you can do with a whetstone. And oh my gosh, does it make it sharp? Like, the way that you test a blade is by being able to shave the hair off of your arm with it. That's when you know that it is the sharpest. Or for some people, you can also say by cutting a piece of paper in half without any give is how you test the sharpness of your blade. Which is all good and fine, but most people with serrated knives or just basic kitchen knives aren't gonna need to do that. They're not gonna be putting so much, well, they're not gonna be putting a lot of wear and tear on the blade enough to do that kind of damage to it for a long period of time. And again, it doesn't need to be an expensive blade, especially when you're not doing a lot of cutting. Now, if you are somebody like a butcher or somebody who's handling a lot of meat all the time, when you're really getting into your homesteading 
dream where you're cutting vegetables and cutting meat all the time, then I would definitely suggest in investing in a couple, not a lot, but a couple good knives, a butchering knife, a bread knife, and a paring knife, and a flaying knife, especially if you guys have a pond anywhere or fish is in your diet a lot because one, fishing is a cheap and easy way to go get yourself some food. I recommend it to everybody who is okay with eating freshwater fish. Do it. It's delicious as long as you know what kind of food you're doing. Up here in the north, I get salmon every year. I stock my freezers full of it. And we're good on a meat source for, well, the entire winter. And it's fantastic. And it's cheap. Like, I save so much money by just fishing. Anyway, enough on that. It's just... A good thing to keep in mind when you're grocery shopping is that you don't need to buy the most expensive thing. You don't even need to buy the the mediocre or the, the mid-tier thing. Buying something that is a step above mediocre, I would say, will do you just fine for a very long time. So don't let the shiny, glittering, eye-opening things catch you and make you buy them because you have more important things that you need to worry about like paying rent and gas and everything else before buying you know a $200 butcher knife which oof, yeah I've heard stories about that but the thing is is most people don't know what to do with it after a while so unless you're going to be doing a lot of cutting just get a basic knife set I know that was a lot to talk about but it's a big one that people do. All right, now that I've talked about knives, I've talked about spatulas and bowls, get a whisk. Whisks are wonderful. Uh, they help mix things very quickly when it comes to liquid form. And it also puts air into, uh, into mixtures that you want as well. Let's see. Also, I would definitely try and get a cheap hand mixer because that'll make life easier if you have electricity. If not, you don't need to worry about it because your muscles and a mixing spoon will do the job for you. And get a colander or a strainer as it's called so you're able to take care of noodles or rice to get the water out of it and then get a shaver or Oh, goodness. You, you guys probably don't call them shavers. That is a, a family or a household name that we use for our little thing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, mercy. What is it called? It is not called a shaver. Okay, basically, it's a thing. Uh, oh, gosh. I failed you. Give me a second. I'm going to look this up right now. Because for the life of me, I do not remember the name. You know, it's, um, you use it for vegetables. Vegetable shaver. And you know what it's going to be. It's going to be something very simple. Not a slicer or a peeler. I guess it is called a shaver. Okay, I'm not crazy. 
No, there's another name for it. I just can't think of it at the moment. But basically, it's a thing with many small holes in it that cut up your um, that cut up your vegetables and your fruits, and they make it very small. And the reason why I say this is because if you're going to be shredding anything up for fiber or texture or even moisture, you're going to need that because you don't want to be sitting away, whittling away at something with a knife for about 20 minutes when you can just shave it off in about two. It's a fantastic little tool. It's about $2 at your local Walmart, Fred Meyers, any kind of big box store. Huh. I just really wish I could give you the name of what it is. That's going to bother me. All right. Let's put that, that mind to rest on that for now. And let's think about anything else. In all honesty, unless you decide to get into cast iron, which I do not recommend for new folks, um, and the reason being is because you have to season it, which means that you're oiling it, putting it in the oven, leaving it in the oven for an entire day, take it back out, scratch all of it off, re-oil it, and repeat that process a second time. And then it should be seasoned. And you're going to have to do that every once in a while, re-seasoning it. And it's something that you have to take care of and baby, really. But the thing is with cast iron is it will last you forever. And I don't say a lifetime because it will live through your generations. And I'm talking about with Dutch ovens, with frying pan cast iron, basically anything that you need to last a very long time and can get the crap beat out of it, get cast iron. It's fantastic. So, and it's also one of the biggest things that people in the 16th century, 17th century, and so forth used when they were going out camping, well, or used in their everyday kitchen. Cast iron was a humongous thing that is a part of our cooking history, and I would love it if you guys ever want to learn anything about that. I would definitely look at YouTube or just historical references when it comes to cast iron. It's fantastic. Even the ovens that we used to use back in the 18th century were cast iron. Oof. It, and these were big pieces of machinery that were made for the entire cooking experience. Your oven, your stove, uh, your wood stove was your oven stove. All in one place, all in your kitchen. It's insane and fascinating at the same time. But anyway, so cast iron is something that I would say if you want to have something that lasts you a very long time but you have to baby it, definitely get it. But if you just want to keep it simple, go ahead, go to the store, buy a four pan set and a pot. Well, a large pot and a medium sized pot and you're good to go. Of course, get your silverware, your forks, knives, spoons, and get yourself a one spoon, a Teflon scraper spoon, a shaver, a whisk, and that should be everything. Yeah. Oh, and of course, a knife block. 
All right, so we've covered how to read a recipe through the five parts of a recipe. We have also covered the tools and the bare minimum of everything that you need. And also, again, just talking about practice and patience and forgiveness of yourself. And the reason why I point that out is because we are very hard on ourselves as creatures. And if you decide that you want to become self-sufficient, you need to stop being hard on yourself and you need to start looking at it as, I want to do this for myself. Yeah, yeah, I know, I'm pep-talking, but sometimes somebody has to say it because this is for you. Homesteading is for you. Being self-sufficient is literally for you. Being able to have a skill like this is fantastic. And at the end of the day, you have made a dish specifically for you and it tastes delicious. And if you even want to, you can share it. You don't have to, but you could if you wanted to. All right. I think that's all I have to say when it comes to cooking. I know I've rambled on for almost a half hour. I hope you enjoy this and I hope this prepares you for your future. Have a wonderful one, guys. Bye.